everybody. This is our People's Podcast, and this is Shania Trotter, Eva Banuelos, and Issa Watara. And we are going to be talking about the people who migrated from El Salvador to the United States. El Salvador is one of the smallest countries in Central America, but yet it was the third most populated. So an article from MigrationPolicy.org explains that a stagnant economy, high levels of crime and violence, natural disasters, and also the civil war that was happening in El Salvador around that time pushed growing numbers of people to migrate or seek asylum abroad. And that was mostly in the United States. So according to that same article, 25% of El Salvador's population migrated or fled during the country's civil war, which started in 1979 and ended around 1992. And in doing so, they traveled on foot, hitched rides on trucks, boarded buses, and traveled through rough terrain such as, like, jungles and forests. And so, like, as you can imagine, like, while migrating, they had to deal with things like fatigue, dehydration, lack of clean water and sanitation, of course, blistered feet, and all kinds of other infections. And according to Amnesty.com, there were many death reports of people falling from, like, vehicles they boarded or being ran over. And that a lot of them had to face like tear gas from security forces and some were even forced to return back to their country against their will. So when they found it to like Mexico, not only did they have to worry about the Mexican government trying to deport them, but on top of that, they had to worry about like human trafficking and being taken by drug cartels and police abuse. So because of that, they would travel in caravans and these caravans sometimes range from like sometimes 8,000 to 10,000 people and were led by people they called like coyotes who were um, basically would smuggle people across the border. To add to that, I remember my mom sharing that experience with me and my sisters where she said when she was crossing over, she's from Ecuador, um, she was trying to cross through to Mex- oh, through Mexico mm-hmm. um, and the coyote had uh, told her not to speak because she had a different accent. And um, Mexicans... Um, would give him a hard time and actually send her back to where she came from. Okay, so when talking about policies that allowed for immigration during that time, many Salvadorians applied for asylum in the 1980s, and approximately 2% of their applications were approved, while the majority found their applications were considered frivolous. So many Salvadorians remained in the United States without documents. The legalization provisions in the Immigration Reform and Control Act of 1986 gave 146,000 Salvadorians legal status. So in 1991, a group of religious organizations and refugee advocacy organizations won its class action lawsuit against the federal government for its discriminatory treatment of asylum claims from Salvadorians and Guatemalans. The American Baptist Church versus Thornborough decision compelled that the immigration and naturalization services basically had to offer initial asylum hearings under new and fair regulations to all Salvadorians and Guatemalans whose previous applications were denied in the 1980s. So under that agreement, the approval rates for Salvadorians asylum applicants rose to over 25% within a year. And by 1993, according to the anthropologist Sarah Mahler, over 250,000 applications for asylum were pending. So when looking at how many people immigrated, 
According to MigrationPolicy.org, it informs us that in 1960, the El Salvadoran population in the U.S. was 6,000, which increased to 95,000 in the 1980s and increased again to over 1 million people in 2016, making them the largest Central American immigrant group, according to the U.S. Census. So the Salvadorian diaspora numbers roughly over 2 million, including those born in the United States, to Salvadorian parents. Where did folks immigrated? Uh, Salvadorians immigrated to LA and to Miami. Um, how were members of your groups proceed? Uh, according to the World Mind American University undergrad policy magazines from international and public affairs, to this date, Salvadorians are mo mostly labeled as economic immigrants and those still face a great risk of deportation in the United States. Um, many come to the U.S. seeking protection from the threat or possible death back home, but this policy um, maker cites their illegal eligibility for asylum under the 1951 Refugee Convention. Where were the barriers to the immigration? According to Immigration Policy Institute's webpage, El Salvador is the smallest country in the Central America, yet the most densely um, populated, a stagnant economic, high levels of crimes and violence and naturally disasters have pushed growing numbers of people to migrate without authorizations, mostly in the United States. Salvadorians in the U.S. are among the hardest working immigrants. A lot of Salvadorian immigrants are concentrated in unskilled urban jobs that do not require English according to everyculture.com. Many Salvadorians work in hotels, restaurant kitchens, laborers at building trades, and many work as unlicensed food street vendors. Although some Salvadorian Americans work in the lowest paying sectors of the American economy. Through the immigration process and other conditions of life in the U.S. has changed the Salvadorian community dynamics in a dramatic and at sometimes destructive way. The Salvadorian diaspora in the U.S. has established a few large and well-funded organizations like the Salvadorian American Leadership and Educational Fund, Christians for Peace in El Salvador, and Building New Hope. Most of the Salvadorian diaspora organizations are devoted to promoting economic development in El Salvador or advocating for migrants' rights or nonviolent solutions. And many of these groups are religiously affiliated. Salvadorian American parents generally, generally fear that their children may stray too far in Americans, America's permissive society. Many young Salvadorian Americans have formed gangs, especially in LA where the culture of Latino youth gangs has, has taken over. The status of the Salvadorians in the US today would be that they are the largest Central American migrant group today according to the US Census Bureau. The vast majority of Salvadorians are in the labor force and working in construction, transportation, cleaning, and childcare. 
They are also very active in their communities. According to, my, the, to the migration policy, almost 30% participate in the neighborhood organizations, church, schools, and sport teams. So when describing how the group may or not have assimilated to the dominant group in the United States, let's talk about some stereotypes. So some negative stereotypes about Salvadorians are that they are angry, mm -hmm. violent, right. dangerous, or that they come from poverty, or even that they are gang members. Right. Did you guys feel the same way, or did you look find anything? I did. I found one that was by La Mara Salvatrucha, which is a really uh, well-known game. game. It's right. a popular game that a lot of people know about. That's kind of what's well, dangerous. Mm -hmm. um, but a lot of people do um, associate Salvadorians with them. Mm -hmm. It's MS-13, correct? Yeah. Yeah, yes. which it's like not all Salvadorians are, you know, mm -hmm. involved in mm -hmm. gangs. Another stereotype that I um, found was about the food, um, that they had pupusas. Mm. Only pupusas. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, and that many of their dishes are actually made with, um, like, corn products, uh, chicharron, which is pork meat. Mm -hmm. uh, so a lot of their dishes actually contain that. Um, another positive thing that I actually got was that they're hardworking, they're brave, they're loving. Mm -hmm. So they do have some positive sides. Too. Another positive one that I found was that they're friendly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a lot of people said they're really friendly. Really talkative. Which is, yeah, which is funny because, like, they have a negative one that contradicts that. Mm -hmm. exactly. But that just shows how stereotypes can contradict themselves. Right. And I found, a positive one I found is that they're, like, really family-oriented. Like, they mm -hmm. really care about their family. Like, they work hard for their family. Mm -hmm. um, so... That was really important. Another stereotype too is that they like they enjoy a lot of music. They mm -hmm. like to play a lot of uh, cumbias. That's like mm -hmm. Spanish mm -hmm. for them here. Uh, hip hop. They play um, different instruments. So their culture is a little like white. Mm. Known. Okay. okay. Another thing that I found was that asylum laws prohibited many Salvadorians from renewing their ties to their home culture. So most asylum seekers could not visit. El Salvador, even for a loved one's funeral, without losing their legal status in the United States. So basically, many Salvadorian Americans were torn between embracing the culture of America and maintaining their Salvadorian ties to their, you know, country. And so another thing was like, Salvadorian Americans had like a tight knit community. They had their own social clubs, their own doctors, and even their banks. And often they had little contact with outsiders. So they maintained a tight network living most, almost exclusively with other people from their home country or even from their hometown. So there's a lot of people, older immigrants, who spent even more than 10 years in the United States without learning any English, which is an obvious barrier mm -hmm. with how they can assimilate. Right. Thank you guys for listening. We're out. Bye. Bye.